All right, good evening, church. It's good to see you all here. I uh, count it a great, uh, just truly undeserved privilege to be here uh, for a number of reasons, uh, just to preach behind this pulpit that uh, I know Ed has preached behind for many, many years, and to be able to open up the Word with you all as a church. We've been greatly encouraged by your church, even though there's many of you that uh, I may not know personally, your church has ministered to myself and my family and, and even our church, Grace Bible Church, in many different ways. We have members of our church who come to, uh, I believe, the young adults ministry that you guys have, and our children co- come to the youth group. Jackson, thank you for welcoming our children so well uh, every week that they're able to be here, and all of you youth leaders as well. So thank you. You've ministered to our family well. And uh, just again, as a, as, a, as a church, we think about you guys often. We, we pray for you guys, and as a family, we do uh, as well. And uh, I know Ed is not here, but continue to be challenged and, and spurred on by his uh, ministry as well and faithfulness here. So uh, with that being said, uh, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Habakkuk. Uh, and I was going to tell you guys where it was. I was going to make one of those like jokes of find this book and go left or right. But you guys all recited them, so you should know exactly where it is in your Bible. I'm not going to give you any uh, direction whatsoever. Uh, Habakkuk. All right, so uh, once you are there, we're going to pray. Just go before the Lord uh, and pray, and then we will uh, make our way through this prophet here. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful to be here this evening. Uh, Lord, we know that apart from your grace, apart from the salvation that you have given us uh, through your Son, uh, not only would we uh, not be here this evening. We wouldn't want to be here. This is the last place we'd want to be. We would not want to hear your word opened up and, and preached. We would not want to sing together or fellowship together or or uh, just do the, the many things that we do or even pray right now and come to you. And yet, because of the new, new life that you have given us, because of the spirit that dwells within us, uh, we long to be together. We long to be in your word. We long to hear you speak to us through your written revelation in Scripture. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do such that. We know that these are supernatural things that we ask of you, and so we we ask that you would do this through your Spirit. Lord, I ask that you would give me uh, clarity and and boldness to be out of the way of your text this evening. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would uh, feed all of us from your word this evening. As your people, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, one and only Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, hopefully you have found uh, the book of Habakkuk in your Bibles at this point. And it, it's kind of funny. I'm sure you've already felt this way because you've had uh, a lot of men come and, and preach through many of the prophets at this point. But just like many of the other prophets and really anywhere else in the Bible, uh, the book of Habakkuk is, is, a, is a very relatable book. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, it's very relevant and relatable to us uh, today. See, although Habakkuk was written uh, over 2,500 years ago, written approximately 650 B.C., uh, and although it was written in the context of the, the southern kingdom uh, of Judah and, and Habakkuk being a prophet on behalf of the Lord uh, in, in the, the face of the, the throes of, of injustice and of, of, of wickedness and unrighteousness, and, and although this book does have this grand historical backdrop of nations conquering nations and, and unrest and abandonment within the people of God, although all of that is true, in the specific historical context, Habakkuk is 
very relatable and relevant and holds foundational and, and I wouldn't, I don't think it would be an exaggeration to say necessary theological truths about God. Uh, it not only has these necessary and foundational truths about, about our God and who He is and His character, but it also uh, exposes many patterns that happen in our own hearts day to day, week to week, month and year to year. But not only that, there are reminders of even the remedies to those patterns that we see in our lives in this book of Habakkuk. You see, we've all faced, if we're honest, if we just stop for a moment and we're honest with ourselves, we've all faced times of, of bewilderment where we're looking at the injustice around us or ungodliness around us or, or even moments of, of weak faith. We're in those moments where we're looking up to the Lord or we're in our time praying or we're reading the word and, and the only question we can ask is where is God? All of us have had thoughts of Questionings God, questioning God's character. Every single person here. All of us have been in those moments of confusion or discomfort, if we're honest, anxiety, and even at times anger at God's chosen plan for our lives. See, all of us often need to be reminded that God is faithful. All of us often need to be reminded that His ways are not our ways. That His purposes will stand. Because he's good. And, and in him we can find rest and joy and peace and hope. And that's despite our circumstances. Every single one of us. So what I love about this book, about Habakkuk, this prophet, even a little bit different than, than many, if not all, of the other minor prophets, is we, we kind of get the, the curtain pulled back a little bit. And we get to see not only the oracle itself, not only the, the, the vision and the word from God, but, but we kind of get this little divine interaction between God and his prophet. And, and it's recorded for the benefit of all who would read, of all who would study. And so in Habakkuk, just to give you a little bit of an outline, uh, over these next two hours, we are going... I'm just kidding, sorry. <laughs> There's like three mandatory preacher jokes. That's one of them. So uh, that's the only one that'll probably show up tonight. Uh, in Habakkuk, uh, but that reminds me, I do need to watch. Okay, uh, we are... <laughs> We are, uh, we're gonna see seven different sections in this book. That's how we're gonna flow through this book. And we're gonna see seven necessary encouragements in times of despair. Seven necessary encouragements in times of despair. So the way we're gonna approach tonight, uh, this is, you know, three chapters, uh, just packed full of truth and, and uh, just, just great stuff here. And I think the best way to approach it is we're basically going to kind of read a section and unpack that section and then move on to the next section and unpack it. So turn with me. You're already there, Habakkuk, and look along with me as I read. Habakkuk, starting at verse 1 of chapter 1. I'll read the first four verses where we'll find our first necessary encouragement be uh, necessary encouragement here. Says the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear me? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. 
strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Our first encouragement is to be burdened by wrongdoing. When you're in the time of despair, and and we're going to unpack this a little bit, you rightfully should be burdened by wrongdoing. I mean, think about the position that Habakkuk is in right now. Think about where we find him as he receives this oracle, and and the Hebrew word for oracle can, can be translated just as easily and just as appropriately as burden. As, as he's carrying this burden, as he is sharing now this, this vision, if you will, he's looking around and, and he's looking around at his own people. He's looking around at this southern kingdom of Judah and he's seeing nothing but violence around him. He, he's seeing iniquity. He's seeing destruction. He, he's seeing strife and, and, and the law being completely ignored. The people, the very people of God are living perverse lives. And so as a prophet of the Lord, he's looking around and he has this distress in his heart that is just mounting. And we know that it's mounting over the course of of, of a long period of time, just in the wording that he uses. How long shall I cry for help? This isn't the first time he's praying to the Lord. This isn't the first time he's looking to the Lord and asking for a solution from the Lord. Remember, these are supposed to be the, the righteous people of God. These are supposed to be the ones who are living different than the nations around them, living living different than the world around them. And yet instead, as the Old Testament records very thoroughly and in, in various different parts, even first and second kings, when you think through and read through that all, you see over and over from, from the top all the way down is this people living wickedly. And they're living just like the, the pagan and wicked and evil nations around them. And so Habakkuk at this point, he's overwhelmed by it and he's burdened by wrongdoing. You could say in a lot of ways, he's, he's echoing the, the very prayer of Psalm 121. He's lifting his eyes to the hills. He's saying, from, from where does my help come? He knows it comes from the Lord. He, he has his burden. He knows to look to the Lord. He, he knows to pray to the Lord. And, and yet I want you to notice that although rightly so, he is being burdened by wrongdoing. Notice he, he begins to, to toe a line here. Now, I want to be very careful, you know, different than the book of Jonah. I preached that earlier this year at our church. Uh, you can kind of uh, take shots at Jonah all day long because you know how the story ends. Like he never turns back and repents and it's not this beautiful, glorious ending. And it's one of those like, okay, this guy's just not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And yet Habakkuk, even as we go through what are, and you see in your section headings there in your Bible, complaints of Habakkuk, what you're going to Notice is there's actually not chastisement from the Lord on Habakkuk. And so we want to be very careful on what we're kind of throwing on to Habakkuk as far as our perception of what he's doing here. But, but he's at least, at very least, towing the line of slinging accusations against God and against his character. You know, look at what we just read, right? He, he, he looks at the Lord and he says, you will not hear. You will not save. 
Or even he's telling God that he is idly just, just standing by, looking at wrong, allowing this to happen. And, and you can almost feel in his heart, he, he almost wants to accuse the Lord of just letting evil run rampant and, 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 and doing nothing about it and never doing anything about it. And yet he's continuing to go back to the Lord, even in the midst of his complaints and, and this turmoil inside of him. It's kind of immediately obvious how we can relate to that, isn't it? I don't really have to talk very much to, to, to draw connections and lines of how we feel the same way at many points in time. Whether it's the effects of our own sin or the sins of those around us, whether it's on a national level or local level or, or international level, we see injustice and, and destruction and violence all around us. And, and at times we look to the Lord and just say, Lord, this is what you're allowing to happen? Are, are you not hearing this? Are, are you not going to save? Lord, where are you? And yet, even with that being the case, our second point this morning, first, being burdened by this evening, not morning, uh, being burdened by wrongdoing, second point, the second section of this book, Remember Your God is in the Heavens. Remember, your God is in the heavens. Look with me at verse 5 of chapter 1. This is now the Lord speaking. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Pause for a second there. The Lord has now responded to Habakkuk. Habakkuk, remember, has been praying and pleading with the Lord to do something, to respond in some way. And, and the Lord is finally speaking back to him. The Lord is finally giving his word. And he makes it clear, I'm not idle. Not only am I not idle right now, but, but I haven't been. And there's a, a plan that I have been putting in place. And so he gets this long-awaited answer. And at this point, if you were to just stop at verse five, if the book were to end there, it would be great. It would be great. Habakkuk would be skipping for joy. He'd be jumping for joy. Uh, he's hearing the Lord speak, and it's good so far. So far, so good. And yet, the Lord continues to speak here. He continues to speak. It says, for behold, verse six, I am raising up <clears throat> the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Uh, I think it's appropriate to just pause for a second there. We know historically that the Chaldeans are, are wicked. This is this ruthless people that at this point in time in history and, and soon after the, these are people that have, are ruling over Babylon. They, they will be conquering Assyria and Nineveh, the, the Neo-Babylonian Empire. This is a, a massive, a people who are, 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 are wicked in everything that they do. You can put yourself in Habakkuk's shoes and think, well, 
If God would have stopped, for behold, I am raising up. If, if Habakkuk would have been given like 20 guesses to finish that sentence, you can guarantee the Chaldeans would not have made it in the top 20. Maybe raising up another king, right? Maybe raising up uh, even a smaller nation. Maybe just fill in the blank. And it's the Chaldeans. This tyrannical nation, abundantly wicked, without mercy. Look at how the Lord can, goes on to describe this nation. Verse 7, they are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. And notice what he said there. They all come for violence. It's not even come for wealth. It's not even come to take over the land. They come for violence. They are motivated by violence. They gather captives like sand. At, at kings, they scoff. And at rulers, they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. For they pile up earth and take it. They pile up earth and take it. These are people that are inhuman. They have an inhuman thirst and drive for violence. A nation that would have been heavily fortified and ready for battle, hearing this description would have frightened them enough. And yet Habakkuk, this, this lonely prophet hearing this, we, we can understand how overwhelmed he must have been. Verse 11, then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. They are serving and worshiping their own might as they draw their swords, as they ride their horseback, as they, as they attack uh, city after city and laugh at every fortress that they were, would, would take over. They're worshiping themselves. They're, they're, they're feeding themselves, driving themselves all the more for more and more violence. What, what a, a vivid dis, dis, uh, description of thirst, uh, of a thirst and drive for violence, of their force, of their might, of their destruction. Compare this to the very thing that started this whole book. Compare this kind of violence to the violence that Habakkuk would have been pleading to the Lord to stop that was happening in the southern kingdom of Judah. And, and even to Habakkuk, this would have been too much. This would have made the, the, the violence within the land look like nothing. Although this was not the hoped-for answer, this was not the hoped-for response of Habakkuk. It was a necessary reminder to Habakkuk. It's a reminder that, that he needed. It's a reminder that each and every one of us needs. It's a re reminder that we see very uh, clearly and explicitly laid out even in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my, way, and my thoughts than your thoughts." 
See, see, oftentimes when we're in the midst of trial, when we're looking at the Lord and looking for the Lord and wanting him to come and give us reprieve from our trials and our sufferings, oftentimes what we don't need is a feel-good message at that moment. Oftentimes what we need is this reminder that God is in control and his ways are so much greater than our ways, so much different than our ways. And that should bring us rest. We should remember in in those moments that God often uses suffering to bring about his purposes, to refine his people, to refine you, to bring about his glory. Well, the response of Habakkuk here reveals his heart, but it's instructive even by way of a negative example. This next section here, point number three, trust in God's ways, not your own. Third, necessary encouragement in time of despair. Trust in God's ways, not your own. So remember, we find Habakkuk after hearing this crushing news from the Lord, this descriptive news from the Lord, this plan that God has been working on. And he says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. What we're going to see here in these stretch of verses from 12 to 17, there's kind of a little bit of a, of a back and forth. Habakkuk reveals uh, one area of his heart that's thinking rightly, and then all of a sudden there's another area of his heart that he reveals, that gets revealed that's not thinking right. And, and right now he, he's, he's doing well. What's he doing? He's appealing to the character of God. Right, his eternal character, his sovereignty. But not only that, he, he rests in, in, in the assurance of God's character in the midst of this complaint. He, he says, oh Lord, he says, and you, O oh rock. God is still his refuge and he knows that. Before that, he says, we shall not die. So, so, so something, there's a glimmer of light that's starting to happen in the heart and, and the mind of this prophet here. Starting to rest in and remember the character of God. But then verse 13, you who are purer, you who are of pure eyes than, than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Do you remember what Habakkuk said in verse 3? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Do do you hear the repetition? He's now looking at the Lord again and no longer talking about Judah, no longer talking about his people, but now talking about the Chaldeans and and the plan of the Lord to use them to to bring about judgment and justice on the kingdom of Judah questioning and accusing God of just standing idly by. Do you hear how kind of uh, strange of a thought process this is? God, you are sovereign. You're in control. Why are you just standing around doing nothing? That, that We can relate to that in our hearts. 
Truth is ringing in our minds and bouncing around in our minds, and yet our heart and the sinful response is, 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 is uh, giving the, the other side of that as, as, it, as our sinful desires continue to, to rear their ugly heads and, and, and want to push aside the truth of who God is. But also notice another shift that happens here at the end of verse 13. Actually, yeah, where it says, and remain, and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. See how well you've been paying attention so far. Right now where we're at, who is the wicked? Come on, who's the wicked? Chaldeans, right? Right? Who's the righteous? Who's the righteous? Who are they coming to attack? Right? The, the kingdom of Judah, right? So do you see, do you see what just happened here? At the beginning, Habakkuk is looking at the southern kingdom, right? Looking at Judah and saying, wicked, violent, iniquity. Now the Chaldeans are coming. They're wicked. And, and you have Judah's more righteous than they, though. Do, do you see what's happening? Now, now we want to be careful. There, there are there are realities, right? Yes, the nation, uh, the the Chaldeans themselves, wicked people for sure, and 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 atrocities that they would uh, have done to other nations for sure. But how quickly the the the, the tune has changed that Habakkuk is singing here. Again, it's understandable. These are not these are not infantile questions that are coming up here, and yet a, a heart, a wrong heart, is being revealed in Habakkuk. Verse seven, verse 14. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out of his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offering to his dragnet. For by them, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? This is really just kind of a, a picturesque affirmation of what God has already described about the Chaldeans. In verse 11, God said, Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. And, and, and uh, Habakkuk is just kind of doubling down on that. Uh, they, they rejoice. They're, they're glad at the dis- destruction that they uh, th- that they bring about on these other nations. And Habakkuk is burdened that it's his people that are now going to be at the at the receiving end of this evil and this wickedness. And he asks this question: Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? In other words, w- Lord, will there be justice? Uh, you're saying this is coming. I acknowledge that this is your plan, but, but will there be justice? Will it end? How, how long will it be? Chapter 2, verse 1, I will take my stand, still Habakkuk speaking, at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaints. Habakkuk recognizes it's time to wait. It's time to listen. 
It's time to watch. It's kind of similar, although very different context and, and ultimately even a different final picture. But, but when you think about Job chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, what does Job end up saying back to the Lord? Job 40, verse 3, Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. He recognized he's talking to the sovereign God whose plans and decrees and purposes will stand, and now he can speak no more. And not in the exact same way, but in a very similar way, Habakkuk now just steps back and says, It's time for me to watch. It's time for me to listen. God's made it clear. Here's my plan. The right response, even in our own lives, when through providence, the plan of the Lord is clear in our lives, whether it's something that we would long for or the exact opposite, our only response can be to trust him. It's pretty clear this would not have been Habakkuk's plan, right? That no one in Judah would have chosen this. No one. And it's clear this is the plan of the Lord. Thankfully, this does come to fruition even in Habakkuk later on in the letter, and we'll get to there uh, at some point this evening. But that's point number three. Trust in God's ways, not your own. Point number four. Live by what you know, not by what you see. Live by what you know, not by what you see. Look with me at verse 2 of chapter 2. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. The Lord's telling him, gives him two commands here, two imperatives. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets. Uh, This should bring bring to mind other important times, right, that the Lord told someone to write some things on tablets. Sound familiar? Moses, right? Thank you. Right? Just making sure. (laughs) It's important. The Lord is speaking. This is not general revelation, but what? special revelation that's happening here, right? The the Lord is speaking to Habakkuk. He wants it written down and recorded and not just recorded for Habakkuk to just kind of throw in his book bag and keep to himself. No, then delivered and not just delivered in a, a casual fashion. No, 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 to be delivered with haste. So he may run who reads it, proclaimed as he runs in haste. He's told to write it, make it plain. And in verse 3, we have a reason given for these commands here, for why he's to write this and why he's to make it plain. How do we know it's a reason? Well, verse 3, 4, that kind of tells you a reason is coming, right? 4, still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Why is he to write this down? And why is he to deliver it in haste? Well, God's decrees are according to his timing. 
He's to write this down and deliver this to all people, knowing that it is uh, God who will appoint the exact time that these things will come about. You, you go ahead and turn your Bibles to Second Peter chapter three. I want you to rem- to remind you that this is uh, that even accusations of God being slow and accusations of God not being uh, faithful to His promises. It's not something that's new, and it's not something that that stopped uh, in in Old Testament times, and it's not something that uh, is new to us in this thinking, but it was even happening at the time of the apostles themselves. In Second Peter chapter 3, in the context of accusations of God not fulfilling his promises, chapter 3, verse 8, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth uh, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." God's the same in Habakkuk as he is in 2 Peter, isn't he? Doesn't change. His patience and kindness don't change. But what, what's, what's, what's very weighty and sobering about what we find in Habakkuk chapter 3 is God is not saying, I'm, I'm giving you guys time to turn around. He's not saying, hey, if, run, let everyone know. And, and I'm going to remove the suffering from you depending on how you respond. They respond, right? No, no, no. The, the, the promise of suffering is still there. The promise of suffering is still there. And Habakkuk has one job at this point. Remain faithful to proclaim it and then be patient as he waits in faith. Look at what we go on to read in verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. There's a little bit of debate among commentators of uh, who specifically is in view here at verse 4. The the object of the vision is left somewhat open-ended. It it could include Judah. It could could include the the Chaldeans. Uh, I I think it really kind of uh, is more of a general statement that's being made here. The righteous shall live by faith. That should sound familiar. There's three points in the New Testament that that comes up in Romans 1.17 and Galatians chapter 3 verse 11 and also in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38. Paul and the author of Hebrews hearkening back to this reality that the righteousness that we would any righteousness that we would find would only rest in faith in the Lord. To be righteous is to be legally justified, uh, to be found upright. And the Lord is saying here that those who will be found righteous are those who live by his faith. What does it mean here? There's, there's, you probably already know this, but if someone tells you, oh no, I have faith, what should your question in turn be? In what, right? Faith in what? Faith in who? 
That's, that's really what's most important. So, so what, what's the faith that we're looking at here? Who is it in? It's trust in the faithfulness of the Lord. Uh, the righteous will live by and walk by as a way of life. Normal operating procedure for those who are righteous are to trust in and arrest in the faithfulness of the Lord, of our God. Faith, as Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In essence, it's what you know to be true, and it's not dictated by what you see around you. It's not dictated by your circumstances. Guess what? It's not dictated by your feelings or your emotions, right? That's why our mind is being renewed. Truth. We know the Lord to be faithful. We know what his word says, and so we rest in that. The righteous shall live by his faith, his faith in his God. The, the Hebrew there is actually a little bit tricky because I think there's kind of a combination of things happening there. It's not just by his faith in the sense of, uh, of the righteous man having faith in the Lord, but it also uh, uh, could be translated as pointing to the Lord's faithfulness. I think kind of both are happening there in the, the, the language that, that, uh, that Habakkuk uses to write this out. Verse 5, moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collect all, collects all his own people. So although verse 4 it may be a little bit nebulous as far as who exactly uh, the object of that is, verse, verse 5 is very clear the transition that's happening here to sole focus on the Chaldeans. Uh, there's actually parallels when you look back to verse 11, right, then uh, of chapter 1. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God, and also 13 through 17, the description that we already read from Habakkuk of the Chaldeans, focusing on the the consuming wickedness of this people. And this leads to the, the five woes to the Chaldeans. Point number five, affirm the Lord's justice against evil. Our fifth necessary encouragement in times of despair. We are encouraged to affirm the Lord's justice against evil. We have five different woes here. The first, I'll I'll read each one. and uh, Actually, I'll just, for the sake of time, I'm actually going to have to abbreviate a little bit of this. Uh, But the the first woe is found in verses 6 through 8, talking about evil extortion. Let's read that says, shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise? And those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnants of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. This this evil extortion will be punished. Verse 9, 
Verses 9 through 11, the second woe here. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house. By cutting off many peoples, you have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. I... This is, if I could have a favorite of the five woes, that's kind of strange, but this is, this is kind of my favorite one. This is kind of my favorite one. The, the, the picture that's being painted here. Here and, and in the next one as well. The, 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 the wicked are not protected. Even their attempts at securing their wealth, their attempts at their own security is, is nothing but arrogant vanity. It's a false sense of security. The stones that they would build up to protect themselves cry out against them. And the beams that would hold this together from the woodwork respond. The very things that they would hope would protect them are judgment to them. Third woe, starting at verse 12. Woe to him who builds up, who builds a town with blood and founds a city with iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a necessary reminder, not just for the Chaldeans, not just for Habakkuk at that point, but even for us that no matter how wicked a city or a nation will ever be, it must still operate in the Lord's world. It cannot move from outside of that. It's still under the Lord's authority. It can't escape it. It can't escape the justice of the Lord. Maybe we won't see it in our time, but ultimately every nation will bow the knee to the Creator, to the authority. Habakkuk needed to be reminded of that. Fourth woe here, starting at verse 15. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand, remember, well, what's in the Lord's right hand? It's his power, right? Will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Their, their shameful acts will be turned back around to them. The Lord will show his justice and, and wrath and, and will receive his glory even using their very shame against them. Fifth woe, verse 18, what prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? 
Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Their idols will prove empty and powerless against the Lord. There is one God, one sovereign ruler. There is one God who hears prayers and who responds and who is in control of all things. And it will never be and never has been a God created by man. Never. All right, point number six here. Six uh, necessary encouragement in times of despair. Uh, Tremble at God's holy wrath. Tremble at God's holy wrath. You'll, you'll notice here there's a little bit of a, a break in the flow and the tone of this, this book in chapter 3. Uh, we, we see Habakkuk's response. It comes kind of in the, in the form of, of, of a psalm. And uh, we know that for a few different reasons, the, the, the actual um, um, structure of, of this chapter in and of itself. But at, at the very beginning, you, you see, uh, according to the Shigianoth, that would be a musical uh, term or, or it's a musical term in regards to uh, something having to do with music. I'm not going to go into all of that. Sorry. Uh, you also see Selah throughout the whole thing. You see that in the Psalms. And at the end, you also see to the choir master with stringed instruments. So you see this, uh, this response of Habakkuk happening now, uh, in the form of a psalm. And, and before I read this whole thing, I just want to read to you what, what are really the bookends of this psalm, of kind of the, the main, the main meat of it here. Starting at verse one, it says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to the Shigianoth, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Skip ahead to verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. So you have these bookends of an appropriate, fitting response from this prophet to the Lord and and everything that he has said and everything that he said he will do. And in the middle of it, between those, we see this beautiful, picturesque psalm of the might of the mighty God. Look with me at verse 3. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Salah, His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kishon in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? 
Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hand on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place in, at the light of your arrows as they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Salah. You pierced with his own arrows the head, heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses the surging of mighty waters. And let me read again verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Well, what's the only right posture before the Lord when, when we see a glimpse of his wrath against and hatred against evil? There's only one. It's all. It's a humble fear of his might. You think about the disciples when, when Jesus wakes up and, and calms the sea around them just with his voice, just with his words. How do they respond? They are amazed. They greatly feared. That's the appropriate response. And so now Habakkuk will quietly wait. And we respond no different. That is the clearest cue of time running out as I have ever felt. Uh, Grace Bible Church people don't get any ideas. I'm just saying. We got one more. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go through this real quick. Uh, number seven here. Number seven. Uh, rest in the God of your salvation. Rest in the God of your salvation. Seventh necessary encouragement in time of despair. Verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Just a couple of quick things here. Notice the description that Habakkuk gives. The circumstances haven't changed. Judah's not prospering. Things are not all of a sudden going well. The Chaldeans are still coming, and yet he has found peace. He has found joy. He has found rest. He has found hope. How has he found hope? Who has he found his hope in? In the Lord. In who God is. 
This is the pattern we see in James 4.10. This is the pattern we see in Luke 18.14. Habakkuk was humbled, and then he was exalted. We humble, we, the Lord humbles us and then exalts us, lifting up our heads and just reminds us to keep our eyes on him, not on the circumstances around us. His hope was in the future salvation of Israel, the very justice of God against Israel. And, and Christian, you have the same hope, the God of your salvation. Uh, how is he the God of your salvation? Through the righteous one, through Jesus Christ, your salvation. And if you're not a Christian here this evening, and I have to work through this quick, but it's so important. If you're not a Christian here this evening, and you've, for some reason, ended up in a church on a Wednesday night, going through an Old Testament minor prophet, man, kudos to you. That, that's amazing. Thank you for sitting here and not running. But but I just want to, to tell you that in God's economy, and you probably kind of heard the tone of this already as we've worked through this, there's only two categories of people. Righteous, wicked. That's it. Righteous and wicked. And I want to read to you what Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Every single human being is in the category of wicked. Doesn't matter how good you are. It uh, doesn't matter uh, how altruistic you are. Doesn't matter how many good things you have done. Every single one of us are in the category of the wicked. All fall short of the glory of God. But through the work of Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the perfect one, the one who was born righteous, right? Stayed righteous, hung on a cross, righteous died and then was raised three days later because of his work on the cross we are covered and we can you can be covered by his righteousness and that is the only way anyone can be moved from the category of righteous into the uh, from the category of wicked into the category of righteous righteous because of their sins being forgiven 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God is a God of salvation, forgiveness, and mercy. But his only way, the only way of salvation, it's singular, it's through Jesus Christ. Confession and humility before him, repentance and devotion to him. I know that was a, that was quick. I know that was a lot to think about and to hear right then, but, but I can guarantee you that, that you can just make eye contact with someone after this service. If you have any questions about the gospel and ask them about the gospel, ask them about that. And I, I know they would love to go as deep and for as long as you have into the glories of salvation in Jesus Christ. Christian, are you facing right now any time of bewilderment, injustice, ungodliness around you? Are you in a moment even right now of weak faith and wondering where God is? You have thoughts of questioning God's character, of confusion, discomfort, anxiety, anger, and response to his plan. I hope that this time has reminded you that God is faithful. His ways are not your ways. His purposes will stand. And 
and be grateful for that because his purposes, his plan, it's not just good. It's not okay. It's the best. It is best. Find rest, joy, and peace in him within your circumstances, not merely after they're done, within your circumstances. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are a good, gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. We thank you for that. Uh, we thank you that, that we can rest in your character, even, even in times that we doubt who you are, even in times that we are looking and wondering where you are. Lord, you know the, the frailty of our frame. You're gracious. We rest in you because of your undeserved favor that you have given us. And so we ask that you would use your word as proclaimed this evening to bolster our faith in you and who you are, that we would be able to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, representing Christ, proclaiming his goodness to the world around us. In the name of Jesus Christ, our only Savior, we pray. Amen.